Well, take your Bibles and open up to John chapter 1 this morning. John chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, that's okay. There's one in front of you or under the seat. And uh, you can turn to page 1613 in the Pew Bibles. And that'll get you to John chapter 1. And last week we kicked off uh, this series, The Light Has Come which we're going to be in through the whole month of, well, I shouldn't say the whole month of December. We'll be in through Christmas um, until we shift gears the end of the month, heading into the new year. And uh, the whole focus of this series is based out of John chapter 1. That's where we're going to be every uh, week. We'll be in the next two weeks and uh, really culminates at our Christmas Eve service together. And uh, this is a needed focus. Because easily uh, we become, if not uh, consumed or a feeling of consumed by darkness, we more than likely become distracted by darkness. And whether that darkness is what you see on the news or it is what you see in your own home or family or what you see just out and about amongst culture and people... Uh, it can become distracting and ultimately consuming when that becomes all we focus on. And the reality is that for many of us, maybe that's how we feel this time of year. And uh, I often joke with people that there's certain aspects of the Christmas season that I could probably be more joyful about. I'm the type of guy who will turn on Christmas music on Christmas morning, and the day after Christmas, uh, the Christmas music goes off. And some of you are going, oh, you're one of those. You're one of those people. And it's nothing personal. It's not that I don't like some Christmas music, but there's just so many, there's, there's only so many Christmas songs. And so you start to play it, and after about a week, you've exhausted your Christmas Christmas songs over and over and over again. I love singing them together, but to listen to them, we anyway. So that's a side note. That's that's beside the point. What I was really getting at is this reality that for some of us, Christmas season this time of year is a time that doesn't seem like it's really filled with light. And we lose sight of why we should focus on the light, even if we are distracted by darkness around us. And that's really the purpose of this series. The purpose of this series is to remind us that the light has come. Amen? And the reality of coming back to this place of saying, even if you are like me and are annoyed by the repetitiveness of Christmas music, there is still a reason to be joyful. Still a reason to be joyful. And it's really at the root of why we have to be joyful. And so as we come to this next part of John chapter 1 this morning, there's really one main concept that I want you to leave here with. And it is instrumental and crucial, not just to this season, though it really is rooted, the beginning of it is rooted visibly in this time it extends beyond that, and that is this truth that Jesus was rejected so that we can be accepted by God. Jesus was rejected so that we can be accepted 
by God. And we're going to see that in the text today. So if you would join me, we're going to read starting in verse 6, where we left off last week. And we're going to read through verse 13 today. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, as we uh, sift through the text of Scripture this morning, may you reveal the authenticity of your words and the realness of this, regardless of where we are in our life today, that you would remind us of the hope that you've given us in this reality that the light has indeed Come, may we reflect on that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we touched on this a little bit last week, but just to emphasize this a little more in this next section, uh, there was a man named John, Baptist John, we're going to emphasize that, who came to uh, bear witness about the light. Now, um, this was not, as we talked about last week, the... uh, Disciple John, this was John the Baptist, also a relative of Jesus. And we see this specifically in the biblical text. And I'm going to take you back briefly uh, to Luke chapter 1. And so feel free to turn there with me, Luke chapter 1. But make sure you keep a mark or a finger in John because we're going to come back there. Luke chapter 1, specifically in verse 5. And this is the, uh, the, the birth of John the Baptist foretold in Luke chapter 1. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel, this is key, to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the Spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord 
a people prepared. Okay? So this is the first exposure we have knowing uh, of who this guy is, who John uh, the Baptist is. Okay? And then it goes on from there. If you look down at verse 36, this is when the angel appears to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 36. And it says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And so you have this uh, foretold aspect. And the reason I highlight this section about John is to really focus on this reality that God has orchestrated all of this. And so easily we become distracted by the normal Christmas story that we lose the sight that all the way back before the foundations of the world were made, God, as in His sovereignty, so far out of our own human comprehension, has orchestrated all these things for our well-being, for our righteousness. And this whole concept that the Son of God, Jesus, would be sent so that mankind could be accepted by God. This was not a news story that came about and God went, oh, this is a great idea. He orchestrated each step of this. And John the Baptist, as we see in verse 6, or verse 7, I'm sorry, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. His own testimony echoed prophecies of old. In fact, if you look across the page at John 1, 19 through 28, it says, and this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Eh? He is not the light. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, if you, were to, if you wanted to find that prophecy specifically, it's in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, where the prophet says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, to give you a little context there, This is a 700 plus year old prophecy that is now being fulfilled. Many of which we see come to fruition as Jesus comes and is present when the light comes. And we're going to look more into that a little later on. But even in Malachi 3.1, the prophet says, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now that gives us some context to 
the validity of John the Baptist and his testimony, his mission, his purpose was to prepare the way for the Messiah, for Jesus, for the light. And that's why it emphasizes in this first chapter that there was a man sent from God and he came as a witness. But verse eight, he was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. And then, continuing on in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to who? Everyone. Has come, was coming into the world. He was in the world and was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now, I want to focus on this idea of the true light for a second. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, in our culture, in the season we live in, and is similar to what we see throughout the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, we often encounter many false lights. Many false lights. And so I ask the question to us, and this is practical for us to think about, what might be the sign of a false light? I'm going to give you three things that are important for us to consider, especially today, that would have been the same considerations that are commanded throughout Scripture for those who are desiring to walk in truth. These are things we need to be aware of. How can I identify a false light? The first thing I would highlight is that it gives the appearance of light, but dwells in darkness. It gives the appearance of light, but dwells in darkness. Now, this is a challenge for each one of us to consider. In fact, if you want to study that concept more, read through the book of 1 John. And it very easily highlights that something that is dwelling in darkness cannot be of the light. It's a contradiction. But how easy is it, especially in our humanity, to give the Appearance of light and yet internally dwell in darkness. And that's an easy identifier if we know that on the outside something has the appearance of light, but internally or motivationally they are dwelling in darkness. So that is a great sign. Whoa, false light, false light. This is not the true light. In fact, in Second Corinthians chapter 11, I'm just going to read this and you can jot this down. The Apostle Paul says, and what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Now we could spend a long time just focusing on that concept and calling out false teachers and false prophets, but it's even more important in this day and age, in this time, in this season, to consider the claim that Jesus is the only true light. 
And that there is no correlation, there is no give and take to say, well, if you worship someone else, that might be light to you. No, no, no. There is one true light. What else might be a sign of false light? Secondly, it gives light temporarily or intermittently, but not consistently. Now, this one is a challenge for us because many of us who seek to follow Christ would say, man, I am going through some dark seasons. And maybe you're going through a dark season right now and you're going, the light has come, but where is it? Where is it in my life? And the reality is, as we're going to see here in a minute, Jesus talked a lot about how even though the light has come, even though through Christ we are counted as righteous before God, it does not somehow disqualify us from trials and struggles because whether we like to acknowledge it daily or not, we still live in a sinful world. Which means there will always, and we talked about this last week, there will always be the threat of darkness. And yet if we were reminded last week in verse 5 that the light, the true light, shines in the darkness and the darkness has not and will not overcome it. And so when we come to this recognition that the light of Christ, the light that God has sent for all humanity, cannot be squelched, it will not be put out, then we have to come to a recognition that even if my life feels as though it's dwelling in darkness, if I am in Christ, His light is still shining, regardless of what's taking place around me. Regardless of how much darkness I may see or feel in my life, it does not change who God is or what He has done through Christ. That cannot be changed and will not be changed, no matter what we encounter on this earth. And there is immense hope in that. And so for those of us who feel like we're walking through a dark valley, to recognize that my only hope, the only light that is consistent in my life, has to be rooted in the true light. And the light we shine, as is commanded by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, that is not a light given by our own power, our own strength. It is the light reflected from the true light that can never be squelched. Thirdly, what might be the sign of a false light? And that is anything that contradicts or tries to replace the actual true light. And this is something, church, I believe we will encounter more and more as the days proceed forward. Many, many more people will seek to contradict what the Word of God says and what Jesus has taught and revealed. And that should be of no surprise to us. But let us be prepared knowing how to differentiate between a true light, the true light of Christ, and that which is false. Another interesting thing to highlight in John chapter 1, verse 10 It says that he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It did not know him. 1 John chapter 3, 
It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Just to give you another indicator, this is not the only place we see this concept. And in fact, later on in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, He says, I have said all these things to you, this is Jesus talking, to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Now what I love about this is Jesus spent so much time pouring into his disciples to make sure that they were not going to be surprised by what was to come. And over and over throughout the Gospels, throughout Jesus' life, we constantly see him telling them, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to have to be killed. You're going to experience immense trial. All these things are going to happen. And the disciples often were like, what are you talking about, Jesus? You're going to reign. You're going to rule. You're going to be king. And that's why they were so concerned. That's why two of his disciples said, Jesus, which of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus is going, you're missing the point. Now, as much as we might laugh when we read things like that, And we say, well, can they see it? They were with Jesus. They were right there. They saw all that he was doing. He told them. It's kind of like watching a movie or reading a book where you know what's going to happen. And the people in the story don't know yet. And you find yourself screaming at the screen. No, don't go in the building. It's going to collapse. Jesus gave much warning here about what was to come. And yet, you and I, we're no different than the disciples. We have the entire written Word of God. We know what He said is coming. We know what we should expect. And we'll talk about it. But then stuff happens, and we go, what? What is happening? This isn't what it's supposed to be like. When was this? When was this talked about? Um, two thousand years ago. And it's really important for us to grasp that the Word of God is there to exhort and equip us. And so, when He's talked about and He's lived, Jesus has lived. The world did not know Him. If we are seeking to live for Christ then you're going to encounter circumstances where people are going to go, who is this guy? What is he talking about? And we shouldn't be surprised by that. Now, that's going to get worse. We shouldn't be surprised if we start losing possessions or earthly privileges or all these things. In fact, Scripture says, man, we should rejoice at this. 
If people are starting to take away those things because of the threat of the gospel, then we're doing something right. Now, that is not an excuse, as we've talked about before, to be a jerk. It's not an excuse to be unloving towards your enemy, because those also are part of the commands of Christ. But it is a command for us not to be allow the darkness to rule because we carry the light of Jesus. And to be willing to step into uncomfortable circumstances and situations where I may face rejection or persecution because I know there's only one true light. So when we encounter things like the world does not know him, we encounter people who just don't know, we should automatically think, Jesus said, I told you so. I told you this was going to be the case. Or people are serving themselves. They're selfish. Jesus said that was going to happen. I told you so. Or the world is rejecting me and my desire to follow Christ. It doesn't mesh with the rest of the world. And Jesus going, yep, told you that would happen. And I lived it. He lived it. He modeled it. And we're going to talk about the, the value of understanding Jesus being here next week. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own, some of you might say, some of your versions might say, and his own people did not receive him. Now this is where we step back even 700 plus years from uh, Jesus' birth to the book of Isaiah. If you want to turn there with me, Isaiah 53. And we're actually going to start in Isaiah um, 52, verse 13. And something I want you to understand about this prophecy. Um, This is one of the most profound prophetic chapters in all of Scripture. When you think about 700 plus years before the birth of Christ at all. And we have the details that we're going to read here in a minute. I want you to consider the power that rests in that. And simply the chances that all of what this prophecy talks about would be fulfilled. And that we could sit here and read about this and see a 700 year span of time Where God spoke through his prophet and then followed through. And something I want to encourage you to reflect on as we read through this. Is if God can fulfill his promise through 700 years and a nation of people who were constantly between serving themselves and other gods and serving the only true God. Then how much more. Should we have faith that God's going to fulfill his promises that he's made in scripture that we haven't seen yet? And that it's on his timetable, not ours. And to rest in the truth of what we do read here. So let's read this together. I'm going to start in 
chapter 52, verse 13. It says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and he is and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it, its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now, that's a long section of scripture, but the reason I read the whole of that is because until we see clearly the fulfillment of prophecy that's taking place as John is understanding this, that he's come into the world, but the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people, and yet was rejected by them. This is all fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, that this is what was going to pattern the life of the one to redeem humanity. That he would be rejected, that we could be accepted by God. In fact, in John chapter 12, It says, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So even John... Later on in his gospel, recognizes the fulfillment of prophecy that's taking place as we look at John chapter 1 as a whole and this light, the true 
light, that Christ was rejected, that we can be accepted by God. And then verse 12 and 13, where we finish today in this section, really comes off of this idea of rejection. And we see that with the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders who rejected Christ. And yet, that very rejection emphasizes the reason that Jesus came. Verse 12, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. First Peter th- uh, 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, recognizing that the world will not know Him. Recognizing that there's people, His own people rejected Him. So how much more can we anticipate the rejection of the message of the Gospel today? And yet, to all who did receive Him, who believed in the name of Jesus, He gave the right to become children of God. A rebirth. To be reborn. Now to emphasize that even more in John chapter 3, just flip the page a couple pages, and you see Jesus' interaction with a Jewish leader named Nicodemus. And if you look at verse 3, of chapter 3, John chapter 3, says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can man be born when he is old? And I love, Nicodemus is just a logical thinker. He has no concept of what this looks like, and he's going, This makes no sense, Jesus. He says, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now the emphasis that's had here and in John chapter 1 when he says, Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is emphasizing that there is a spiritual rebirth that takes place when we recognize who Jesus is and we believe in his name. And this is a rebirth that cannot take place simply because of blood or human descent. Doesn't matter what your lineage is. There's only one way into the kingdom of God. 
It's not through the will of the flesh. You can't somehow earn your way or earn your keep to become a part of the kingdom of God. It is only through the true light, the blood of Jesus, that that happens. Nor is it something that mankind can produce for their own family. Just because you believe in the name of Jesus to be saved does not save anyone else. And there are people who believe that today. There are many false light religions that teach that very thing. There's only one way. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So how do we apply this to our lives today? First, we have to start by recognizing that the light has come for us. The light has come for you. And as we emphasized in the past, we don't have to dwell in the darkness because there is a true light that has come that John the Baptist testified to and prepared the way for and is now here and we see his life and his sacrifice. So we don't have to dwell in the darkness. Recognize the light has come for you. First John 5 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know? Do you know that you have eternal life? Are you stepping forward with confidence knowing that is true? If not, I want to talk to you this morning. Because I want everyone who comes through these doors, everyone who sits in these pews, to have no doubt that we will be together in the kingdom of God. But there is only one way. And if you're not sure what that one way is, that's the question you need to answer this morning. Secondly, recognize the assurance and confidence that is rooted in these truths. It's easy for us to hear these things. It's easy for us to play that over and over in our mind and yet to actually have assurance in that truth. To actually be rooted in that truth is another step of maturity. And so, if maybe you're at the first application point this morning, and you simply need to recognize these truths for yourself, to answer that question, am I confident, do I know that I have eternal life? And if not, that's where you start. And for the rest of you, you're saying, I know I have eternal life in Christ. So, how do I apply this? And you recognize the truth in these words and the assurance and the hope that we can have because the true light has come. If God has caused us to be reborn, then I am no longer bound to my old way of thinking and living. If God has given me eternal life, then I no longer need to fear death. If God has sent the true light to dwell with us, then I no longer need to walk in darkness. The light has come, church. Do you know that you have eternal life? Because Jesus was rejected by men, rejected by the world, despised 
He bore our sin so that we can be accepted by God, counted as righteous before Him. There's only one way. There's only one way. Heavenly Father, may we reflect on these truths and remain rooted in these things to acknowledge that the light indeed has come, the true light. Lord, equip us to recognize false light when we see it. But even more so, Lord, may we become disciplined in walking in step with the true light. Lord, that we would be a reflection of the light of Christ. And that you would be glorified by the outpouring of what that looks like. We're not serving ourselves, not serving the world, but solely committed to reflecting you and serving you. Father, this is hard. May we fix our eyes on you and recognize we do not have to dwell in the darkness, but can walk in rebirth and newness of life. In Jesus' name.